On the 22nd of June, 1941, German troops in Poland, near the Soviet border, got the green light to undergo one of the most amphibious operations in history, Operation Barbarossa. The Soviets are unprepared and taken back. Although initially very successful, it would soon spell the doom of the German Reich at the Battle of Stalingrad. To fully understand this brutal battle, it is impossible to overlook the bigger picture and not talk about the larger Operation Barbarossa which preceded it. Before World War II, Germany and the USSR, although having opposing ideologies, soon got along very well. They signed many research treaties in which Germany gave the Soviets valuable technologies in exchange for crucial Caucasian oil. In 1939, the two superpowers signed a non-aggression pact. Both countries agreed not to fight each other. It's the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. This new alliance that is brewing between the ideological extremists is a shock to the Western allies of France and the UK. Yet, there's more to this. In the same meeting, Germany and the Soviet Union agree to a secret clause in the pact. Both countries will split Poland in two in case of war with the Western powers. It's an agreement that suits both parties. Now, Hitler can focus on the threat to his West, while the Soviet Union can reacquire previously lost land in the 1920 Polish-Soviet War. When World War II finally does come around, the two countries follow through on their deal. Eastern Poland belongs to the USSR and the West to Germany. Joseph Stalin, communist leader of the Soviet Union, knows an invasion is coming. However, to him, Germany will not attack Russia until it is done with its Western enemies. It's a perfectly logical assumption, but Stalin fails to see that he's dealing with Adolf Hitler here. Anything can happen. Meanwhile, in the West, Germany blitzkriegs its way into France and manages to get them to surrender. Unfortunately, the British don't follow suit, and much of the German attention is focused on protect protecting their coastal regions from the dreaded British Royal Navy. There's no chance an invasion of Russia is coming, Stalin thinks to himself. Who'd be crazy enough to do that? Many people today criticize Stalin's train of thought here, but that's because we have the context. By this point, there is no evidence of an invasion is being planned. By 1941, in the German high command, an operation was already underway. Operation Barbarossa, they called it. German troops had started amassing on the Soviet border. However, to keep the operation a secret, the soldiers were not told what they were doing there. Not even some of the senior commanders knew what was happening. Meanwhile, in Moscow, no one suspects a thing. Just a few reports from Stalin's intelligence agencies saying German troops are massing on the border. But Stalin just writes it off as military training. There is nothing to worry about. Now, one misconception that spreads a lot is that the Soviets had nothing on the German border and that all of their troops were in, in other places. Although their unpreparedness played a major role in the initial German success, it's false to say that the Soviets had just beat sitting ducks. After all, a major war had broken out between the European powers. The Soviets had to get prepared for a possible war, regardless if it was against the Germans or not. In fact, the Soviets knew a German invasion was coming. Hitler had written in Mein Kampf his desire to end com communism in Russia and exterminate the Slavic people. And I quote, Never forget that the rulers of present-day Russia are common blood-stained criminals, that they are the scum of humanity which, favoured by circumstances, overran a great state in a tragic hour, slaughtered out thousands of her leading intelligentsia in wild bloodlust, and now for almost ten years have been carrying out the most cruel and tyrannical regime of all time. End quote. 
However, what Stalin and the rest of the Soviet high command failed to see was just how far Hitler was willing to go. They didn't get the if wrong, they got the when wrong. In such circumstances, in the beginning of 1941, Stalin had enacted a defense plan along with the mobilization plan to prepare for an inevitable invasion. Little did they know how close that invasion was. On the 22nd of June, 1941, the inevitable did come, just not as expected. The full German force of the German army hit Russia. In just days, the German army rushed through eastern Poland. Stalin is devastated. He suffers a mental breakdown and locks himself in his room. The Russian high command scrambles to form Soviet resistance and defensive maneuvers. The German army, meanwhile, pierces through the small Russian troops that are near the border. This is where we see the German blitzkrieg at its finest. Encirclement after encirclement, the Soviet troops were captured in the millions. By the end of July, the northern section of the German army enters Smolensk. They are now 400 kilometers, 248 miles away from Moscow. By August, over a month after the invasion, the Germans were on the outskirts of Leningrad, a force 700 kilometers, 434 miles away from the initial border pre-invasion. The Germans got ever so closer to Moscow. However, by December 1941, the lightning movement had bogged down and the Germans made slow advance towards Moscow. This is mainly where the story of the Russian winter comes in, and how Germany couldn't get to Moscow because winter set in. However, as misfortune or unlucky that must sound, I'm sorry to break the party, this is an overestimation. Although the advance on Moscow could make an episode of its own, the quickest way I can put it, there were multiple factors that caused the Germans to slow down of which the Russian winter plays a small role. In fact, it is believed the myth of Russian winter comes from mainly from Hitler himself and his propaganda machine, who used it to justify their, their defeat to Russian troops. The main factor were rain, and therefore mud, huge Soviet meat shield defenses, scorched earth, supply issues, and an overstretched front. By spring, it was clear to Hitler that his army was in a desperate need of supplies to beat the Soviet Union. Although infrastructure projects were well on the way, there was a problem. Germany did not have the required material to supply its troops, and in this context, its machinery. Even if Hitler took Moscow, it could not help them in the slightest. Most factories had been moved further east behind the Moscow line. Hitler began to turn his attention south to the Caucasus, a mountain ridge in between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. It would have skipped Hitler's attention if it did wasn't for one key detail. Fuel. The Caucasus had an abundance of petroleum oil that could help the supply in the entirety of German forces in the east. However, Hitler knew this region would be heavily defended with Soviet troops. He needed to be able to take oil fields while not being attacked by waves of Russian reinforcements. Known as Operation Enderweist, or Case Blue in English, was an operation which split the German forces in two. One German art force would try to push their way into the Caspian Sea cutting off the Soviet supply in the region, while a second army pushed itself towards the oil field. This plan would require the Germans to cease a strategic river known as the Volga River, which ran through a particular city, which immediately caught Hitler's attention, a major city in the region known as Stalingrad. Not only was it crucial for further offensive in the east, but it bore Stalin's name. This wasn't just a strategic tar target, it was an ideological one too. The German forces, which consisted mainly of the German 6th Army and parts of the 4th Panzer Army, were tasked with this important mission. They were led by General Friedrich Paulus, who lacked quite a lot of field experience, 
but had been crucial in the preparations for Operation Barbarossa. In total, the forces numbered 217,000 men. Initially, Stalingrad was only meant as a secondary aim, the Caucasus being the first. In fact, the city was only chosen for strategic convenience, as it was situated between the Volga and the Don River. In fact, Field Marshal Kleist, who had been named Commander-in-Chief of Case Blue, said after the war that Stalingrad was used because it could protect the German flanks in the Caucasus region. I tell you this because it helps you understand some of the initial strategic decisions made by the Germans. On the other side of the front, the Soviet defences had been set up in the region, considered of the Soviet 28th, 51st, 62nd and 64th Army. And before you get confused here, the only one that's important to our story is the Russian 62nd Army. Although this defence might sound elevated compared to the German 6th Army, the Soviet forces numbered only around 190,000 men, compared to the German 270,000 men. As a side note, for those interested, the reasons the Soviets had less forces in the initial offensive was because they thought the Germans would start an offensive on Moscow, so they deployed a large part of their, of their army there. And so, in July of 1942, Operation Case Blue went into full effect. With the help of the Luftwaffe and the air, and thanks to the German Blitzkrieg strategy, the Germans made staggering progress. Although Stalin had anticipated such an attack, the actual hit was quite devastating. However, with the lack of organisation of Soviet troops, there were plans in the Russian army to retreat back and set more defensive lines in the Caucasus. To the Germans this could be devastating, because as stupid as it sounds, the biggest enemy to Blitzkrieg is retreat. With no troops to overrun, the German offensive would have been for nothing if it wasn't for overstretching the supply lines even more and having to face world-prepared, world-defensive lines of Soviet meat shields. That's why, a few days into the offensive, part of the 4th Panzer Army set for Stalingrad was redirected south to block any Soviet strategic retreat and to fully overrun the enemy forces. However, this left the German 6th Army, still under General Paulus, to attack Stalingrad on its own. Yet, the German forces soon made it to the outskirts of Stalingrad on the 23rd of August. However, as they got closer to the city, they soon found themselves facing fanatical defences from Soviet soldiers. This is because, on the 20th of July, Stalin sent out the infamous and historical Order 227 that Soviet soldiers would take to heart and their grave for a bloody and grueling five months. No step back. However, and I have to say this word a lot, Despite this stiff defence, the German army, thanks to partially to the help of the Luftwaffe, pushes the Soviets back, even making breakthroughs into the city and the Volga River. From then on, this offensive was slow and steady. General Georgi Zhukov made a few breakthrough attempts, and although they were repelled by the Luftwaffe, they managed to hold down the German lines. On the southern side of the city, the Germans make headways on the southern part of the Volga River, forcing Soviet troops to be supplied via unreliable boats on the Volga River, which were regularly bombed by German air power. However, despite the effectiveness of the Luftwaffe in the early days of the battle, their role soon became obsolete as Soviet troops began a sort, as Zhuikov called it, hugging tactic on the German forces, getting closer to the enemy and fighting in brutal close-range combat, and yet repelling attempts by the Luftwaffe to obliterate the Soviet forces as the risk of German troops getting caught in the bombing was too high. The downside of this strategy is noticeable from the context, but also basic logic. Urban combat, which made Stalingrad famous, engulfed the city. Every street, every house, every room was fought to the bitter end. And yet, despite all of this, the Germans continued on, 
managing to capture a strategic hill overlooking the city and closing up on Soviet forces. However, counter-offences meant they lo soon lost the heights. Much attention had been brought to the south of Stalingrad, but by the end of September, German offences began focusing on the northern part of the city, which was the industrial sector. After a slow advance, the Germans arrived in a heavily fortified area, which consisted of three main factories. The Red October Steel Factory, the Barricade Arms Factory, and Stalingrad Tractor Factory. However, soon the defences led by the Soviet 22nd Army was pushed back and the Germans were making headway, reaching the Volga River in October. In the air, the Luftwaffe gained air superiority at Stalingrad, as much of the air force had been sent, which the Germans paid a heavy price for the lack of air force in the Caucasus region. Despite the German air superiority, though, they were unable to help the troops at the ground as the Soviets continued to hug the Germans. On the Soviet side, their hold on Stalingrad was left to mere small pockets holding on the remaining areas along the Volga River. Luckily, Russian reinforcements began to arrive via the river, making the German advance even more complicated. However, with winter approaching, the river began freezing. In Stalingrad, battles slowed down as the cold air of the winter made the Germans unprepared for a renewed offensive. Yet fighting quickly engulfed the city as Soviet troops draw up their winter counter-offensive. In the north, the Soviets push back. They recapture strategic areas in the industrial sector. This is just a distraction for events to come. Dubbed Project Uranus and led by General Georgi Zhukov, the Soviet plan for their winter counter-offensive is to encircle and wipe out the German forces in Stalingrad, in a mood that very much resembles the German blitzkrieg tactics of the first phase of Operation Barbarossa. This plan was quite smart. The Germans had focused all of their resources and troops taking Stalingrad that they had not bothered to put up good defences along their flanks. Thinking the Don River, which ran through German flanks, would provide a natural barrier to the Soviets. As such, these areas along the north and south of Stalingrad were protected by Romanian and Hungarian forces, who were under-equipped, under-trained, and weren't in a position to fight, even in a defensive plot like this one. Soviet tanks breezed through Romanian defensive on the river, and the breakthrough attempt was successful, encircling a total of 330,000 German soldiers in the city. From then on, the Soviets continued west, draining any hope of Axis relief forces. Friedrich Paulus, now head of the, of the 6th Army, was tasked with a precarious situation. Does he surrender? Does he try a breakthrough attempt? Or does he hold on? It's Manstein that advises Hitler not to adore the 6th Army to try a breakthrough, thinking he could relieve the forces himself. By this point, the idea of supplying the 6th Army through planes was considered and was actually used. However, the project was too extreme as the Luftwaffe were unable to supply an entire army made up of hundreds of thousands of men. In the city, the big men began to starve. Even with supply planes flying over, they were only able to supply it with ammunition and fuel, but no food. Medical equipment is scarce and the injured are unable to receive proper medical attention. Manstein, however, still believed that outbreak attempt was possible from his position. The 6th Army was told to keep their position while the Germans attempted to break them free. At its best, the German forces made it 48 kilometers away from Stalingrad. However, they were soon bogged down and was the risk of an all-out outbreak from the 6th Army could do if it fails, the offensive is called back. By January, the Germans scrap every food they could get. They were still waiting for that relief force they had been told about. Numerous surrender attempts were given to Paulus, but to no avail. 
Paulus, although desperate, believes in his superior's assurement that relief is coming. However, by the end of January, everything is falling apart. The Soviets once again make surrender offers to the Germans. Paulus then calls Hitler, describing to him the desperate situation. His men have no food, no water, and he begs Hitler to be allowed to accept the surrender deal. Hitler refuses, saying the Germans in Stalingrad will fight till the last cartridge, and when there are none left, to the last man. Hitler even proposed that Paulus commit suicide in order to not to surrender to the Soviets. But Paulus refuses. He is Catholic. Suicide is not an option for him. A few days later, Paulus is promoted by Hitler to field marshal. Yet this was no promotion. It was a call to arms. No field marshal in the history of Germany had ever surrendered. To be the first would be a shame. On the 31st of January, Paulus' headquarters in Stalingrad is overrun by Soviet forces. Paulus himself is captured. The first time. Even then, the Germans still hold out. The southern part of the city is now cut off from the north, and although the south soon collapses thereafter, the north holds on. However, on the 2nd of February 1943, General Strecker, the de facto general of the 6th Army, learns that all of his advisors have deserted to negotiate a surrender with Soviet forces. Strecker, seeing that all hope is lost, advises his men to surrender while he follows suit. Helmut Groskör, Chief of Staff of Strecker, sends a final message to Berlin, replacing the usual formalities of how Hitler was long-lived Germany. Most soldiers surrendered, a few kept resisting, but don't be mistaken, these were not fanatics, these were just scared German soldiers, fearful of the Soviet treatment. Stalingrad is undeniably the bloodiest and deadliest battle in history. Although casualties are hard to calculate because of the sheer brutality of the battle, German casualties sit around 800,000 men, while Soviets lie at around 1.1 million. Stalingrad was signal a beginning of a new phase in World War II, one where the initial German speed was not enough to turn the tide in their favour, one where power and machine defined the word victory. Nazi Germany was succumbed to the wombs at Stalingrad, a memory of war never forgotten.